everyone. Welcome to episode 27 of Don't Call Me a Guru. I'm your host, Linda Huang, and today we're getting insights into how a very popular tourism board in Alberta is using social and digital media. Don't Call Me a Guru is recording at Nate's Radio Studio in Edmonton, Alberta, and we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB Financial. If you like what you're listening to, please rate us five stars and also talk about us on social media. Now we get to our guest. Uh, Kyle Russell, Manager of Content Marketing with Tourism Calgary, joins us today. Welcome, Kyle. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, you're actually joining us via Skype, which is the first... Uh, well, I mean, I guess that's not true. I did, a Skype, uh, I did a Skype recording a few episodes ago, but this is, this is more official. We're in the studio. Uh, they had a bunch of fancy mics that they put together. <laughs> we, see, <laughs> we see each other. So the video is not being used for this uh, episode, but I told Kyle I needed to make sure he wasn't rolling his eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> as, Which would never happen. As we talk through this. <laughs> so, Kyle, can you uh, talk a little bit about how Tourism Calgary is currently using social media, digital media, um, and sort of where you're focusing your attentions and uh, kind of your focus on the different platforms? Definitely. So, Tourism Calgary, so I'll just get into a bit of context. So, my unit is the content marketing unit, and we lead everything that's called an own channel. And an own channel is anything where we have basically control over the story that's being told. So think of things like TripAdvisor, Facebook, Instagram. And um, the way that Tourism Calgary has uh, actually, the way me and Linda got to know each other for everyone <laughs> listening out there, is um, anytime we work with an influencer and we will define the itinerary rather than influence it. Um, so the way that we work with social media is focusing on any channel where Tourism Calgary could have a fit with the audience. Uh, the big three we look at right now are Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, Facebook and Instagram are like the behemoths right now. I'm sure any any marketer is really interested in Instagram and Facebook. Uh, for us, we have a defined strategy for each channel where we look at what the audience is looking for in terms of content. So for Instagram, for example, we look at what are, what what gets the attention of someone on Instagram and what we found with our audience is that they're looking for something that's a big, beautiful stop and stare moment and something they can immerse themselves in and basically something that stops their scrolling through uh, the feed. If we go onto Facebook, it's really focused on big moments and something that you want to plan out um, you know, further afield. So uh, we found that people on Facebook are looking the previous weekend for what to do next weekend. So say it's... it's uh, um, when or Tuesday today, someone will be looking for next weekend, not this weekend coming up. So we really make sure that the moments we're sharing on Facebook are memorable enough that if you see it today or you see it on Friday, you'll remember it for the next weekend when you're actually uh, out and about in town. Uh, Twitter is kind of our catch-all. So this is for something that's you know, not necessarily a big stop and stare moment or a big event. These are things like dinner specials or happy hour specials or something that would fill in your time. Um, and so when we're looking to post content to any of our channels, we're looking to see if it fits on one or all of those channels. We also have some light, uh, some light presence on Pinterest and Snapchat. And uh, TripAdvisor is a big channel for us as well. But each of those channels are supplementary because the content for Pinterest and TripAdvisor at least is more permanent. So um, we'll tend to put content out in chunks on uh, those channels. And then 
Snapchat, to be honest. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> you were, we, we were on it, I think. Yeah, yeah, we were really on Snapchat. We love Snapchat. But then with <laughs> the uh, with the change of Snapchat's platform last year, uh, we became a brand publisher. And when we're, you know, we're, we're a small tourism bureau and we're next to Cosmo and we're next to MTV, <laughs> um, our, our stuff just doesn't hold up against those brands. So we've... Uh, position ourselves back on Snapchat to just be something that supplements uh, current users. So we'll do things like filters still, but mm-hmm. um, we've gone away from publishing our own content onto mm-hmm. Snapchat. Especially if, you know, something like Instagram stories, which is essentially took took Snapchat's whole thing. <laughs> totally, <laughs> you, can, uh, totally. you can focus more efforts on Instagram, I guess. Totally. The only thing with Instagram like that we find difficult is uh, Snapchat's audience was really big into doing something now. Like we would do a Snapchat at a club on a Friday night and we'd get questions from people saying, how long is the lineup? What's the cover like tonight? And we don't find the same thing on Instagram stories because the audience skews a bit older mm-hmm. and they want to plan out more. So we find a lot of moms and a lot of mm-hmm. um, couples on Instagram stories who want to plan out for that weekend. But but not, nec- like not, yeah, not necessarily right in that moment. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. <laughs> Are there any uh, surprising or unexpected ways that Tourism Calgary is is using social media that that audiences might not consider? Um, for instance, we were chatting uh, about this. Like, do you do you use it to research what your audience wants? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, like I think with our uh, Twitter is a great gateway for us to see what might hit with the audience. Like, uh, and then to elevate it to the point of Facebook and then to elevate it to the point where we might do something like a content piece. Uh, a great example is an event here called rib fest and probably like, I'm sure Edmonton has a rib fest too, or something similar. Like it's basically yeah. just a, yeah, it's just a bunch of rivers. Like, <laughs> in a parking lot of an arena. And um, surprisingly, that got a lot of traction from our social audience. And then we put it on Facebook and it was our top post last year. Wow. Um, That's unexpected. Totally (laughs) unexpected. Like you wouldn't think that, you know, when it's compared to, you know, big marquee events like the Stampede or the Mm -hmm. Comic Expo, um, Rib Fest, (laughs) how does it stand up? And we're talking like Rib Fest beating things like a Luke Bryan post or a post where the Arkells were talking directly to the audience. Rib Fest and this quick post about licking sauce (laughs) off your fingers was our top (laughs) post. So uh, like the, I guess the big tip I would say out of that is to just never let your predispositions uh, dictate what you're going to post onto a social channel because you never know what's going to hit it with the audience. Right, right. And, you know, you might think that you know what they want, but <laughs> nothing's, you know, the finger licking is, <laughs> that's a, a yeah. possibly a proven method, I think. We can totally, move totally. forward with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of analytics and measurement, you know, you just mentioned uh, top posts. Like, what, what do you or how does Tourism Calgary define top posts or what are you looking for uh, when you're trying to replicate top posts and that sort of thing? Definitely. So we have a bunch of different metrics that we measure and we're trying to see what would cause someone to possibly come to Calgary. So our organizational KPI as a marketing organization is intent to visit. When we look at different types of social channels, we're trying to see what exactly would show off someone's intent to visit. So for an Instagram story or a Snapchat story, the big thing we look at is content consumption. And same thing with a Facebook Live. 
for example, we did a, a Facebook Live with a couple cosplayers a few weeks ago showing their transformation um, ahead of the Calgary Expo. And we thought if someone's watching this and interacting with the content through the whole 45 minutes, that's enough intent to visit. That's something stuck in their mind. And we really want to get something that does stick in someone's mind. So say it was something like uh, a Facebook post, we really want to see any sort of engagement because if someone's taking the time to stop and interact with that post, then that shows at least Calgary. Yeah, it's, it's shown Calgary is something that's stuck with them enough that they might consider a trip in the next one, two, three years. How um how big, so, you know, in terms of people who are listening, I think the size of their digital or social uh, marketing and content team ranges, right? One person to 10 people to, I don't think anyone has a team of 20, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess how big uh, is your team and, and how do the different roles uh, work together? And, and would you say that it's grown over the years or, or that roles have changed over the years? Yeah, we definitely have grown over the years. Uh, in, if anyone's interested in tourism, content is king right now. And I think that's the case in a lot of industries. Uh, we have a rather large content marketing department in our organization. We'd say it veers between five and seven individuals. Um, so we, our director of marketing would spend between a third and half of their time within content and then myself, I'm the content marketing manager, which means I lead the content unit itself. Uh, so full-time, my work is dedicated to content marketing on our own channels. And then we have four portfolios within that unit, which is a social media coordinator uh, who handles everything strategy and channel focus with each of the social channels. We have a content coordinator who handles all production of the content itself. We have a digital coordinator who handles everything related to our website strategy. And then we have a digital channel publisher who handles everything that's just publishing to each of the channels. So we have a rather large mm -hmm. department. You um, have you have the, the team that everyone wishes they had. <laughs> we do, definitely, definitely. And I think it's really great for us to have such a large team because it, it allows us to be smart with every step of the content journey. Like, um, the, the life cycle of a content piece for us is I'll create a content plan. Then our digital coordinator will create, you know, keywords and SEO tips for the content producer. They'll then produce the content itself. And then the content publisher will put it onto whatever site. And then the social coordinator will determine how that content can fit and reach the masses through whatever channel it's going on. So we really do have a, a good life cycle of content producers, but uh, I realize we're we're in the dream phase that uh, <laughs> not many organizations have. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, were you around, how long have you been in I guess in either your specific role um, or or did you move up into that role um, and and has it always been that big the team or or is it big now? It's big now. So I've been with Tourism Calgary for about four years. Um, my predecessor was the first content marketing manager and he was previously the PR manager and. Uh, when he joined the organization, PR was really the focus for our destination marketing organization. When the shift to content happened, it was a team of two, uh, and it was just him and our social coordinator. And our social coordinator actually did all the content production as well. Mm -hmm. And then as the channels expanded, the social coordinator role needed to be segregated from the content producer role. So that was added. And then 
um, we added the digital channel role and then the, the content court, the digital content coordinator, excuse me, they got added into our unit as well. So that was the expansion from basically one person to five people over the last four or five years. And do you think, um, I mean, in terms of the the metrics that you're measuring or the success uh, or making a case for a bigger team, obviously, Tourism Calgary sees the value in investing in content, social, digital, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Like, I think content's this funny thing. I think that a big team can do a lot. But I think for anyone out there that's listening that's not in a big team, the beauty is, is that there's so many content creators and so many people passionate about content right now that you don't necessarily need a huge team. Uh, I think that we're in a, a good space because we do do all these support things like do keyword research and do channel augmentation, but um, that's not, not needed. Like we were doing a, a session a few weeks ago with dinner theaters and talking about how a dinner theater can really just create some good evergreen content and just hire a writer to do all this evergreen content on their own and recycle it. And they're a team of one for the whole theater. And uh, they can put out this content that looks robust just because there are so many great creators out there. And I think that, you know, you can really take advantage of the great uh, skill sets that exist right now in the content world. Mm-hmm. From other people, uh, whether or not they're professional writers or, uh, for example, influencers that you might want to work with. Definitely. Like a great example is uh, we were recently looking at WeChat Pay because WeChat is a huge focus right now uh, as more and more Asian tourists are coming into Alberta and we're China ready now. And um, there's a mall here in Calgary called Cross Iron Mills. And we just needed someone to write an article about how you can pay with WeChat Pay at this outlet mall. And to be honest, all we did was scour Instagram to try and find someone that was a Cross Iron Mills just aficionado. They love going to Cross <laughs> Iron. They love shopping at Cross Iron. And we found this person and they wrote this great article for us about why you should go to Cross Iron. And uh, that's a content creator that doesn't normally write you know, these long form articles about how payment systems can be <laughs> used at a mall. And we just found them because of their Instagram presence and saw that they were familiar with cross iron mills as, a, topic, as an experience. Yeah. 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 What, what, um, why do you see, or why does tourism Calgary see the value in, you know, finding someone who already kind of frequents the mall or has an affinity to that topic to do the content versus, let's say, having someone in-house do that content? Where, where do you think the value is uh, when you go that route? Yeah, for us, it's the, definitely the dichotomy is whether someone would want to hear from a brand tell the story or hear from someone they can relate to. So whenever we hire an influencer, we're always looking for an influencer who is relatable. And we kind of have this idea that any influencer we work with has to be the best friend you want to have, but someone who wouldn't be so intimidating to you that you would kind of fan out when you met them. So like, uh, I, I don't know if it's apropos to use you as an example, Linda, but we always think of you as like, you'd be the really cool magnetic person at a dinner party and you would be the friend that everyone wants to have, but you're so friendly that you're not intimidating to speak to. And thank you. That, you <laughs> 
I'm blushing. I always wanted to have dinner with you and Mike. So. <laughs> you know, why haven't we had dinner together? <laughs> We've had opportunities. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we always want someone who does have that voice of authority so that if they're telling the story, then someone would trust their voice that they're a good knowledge bank in that particular vertical. So say with the cross iron example, if it's someone like me, like, you know, I'm a suit guy. I'm not really the most approachable looking. <laughs> he is wearing a suit right now. I yeah. can confirm. <laughs> so say if I'm telling a story about rib fest, like I don't look like someone you trust with good information on ribs. Right. But if we did find someone who's, you know, a real rib aficionado, <laughs> then the audience is going to look at that and say, like, well, even though they're a representative of tourism Calgary, they also represent the experience that someone like me would want to have. And I can picture me going to this experience with this person that wrote the Ribfest article or the person who wrote the Cross Iron Meals article because they look like someone who knows their stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's certain topics that definitely you do trust the brand on like content that works for us would be something where you're trying to figure out the logistics of how to get there or why you would pick something on a logistic basis solely so like I guess like a good segregation would be if you're looking for a dinner theater but you're looking for a dinner theater that has ample parking or a subway station next to it that's something you would trust us as a brand to hear about Mm -hmm. but if it goes into the point of would I trust the food or would I trust uh the content that's on stage you wouldn't trust us because it would seem like it's too much of an ad or it's too much of a put on because we would just say everything's great (laughs) but if there is someone who's like a theater aficionado they're the ones that can tell that story to say like the content here is good or a food aficionado say like mm, the buffet here is way better than the other buffets you can go right, to. Right. They have they bring a, a, a more authentic expertise to it. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I definitely have uh, more influencer questions for you, influencer marketing questions for you. But we're going to do a quick break uh, for an ad and then we will be right back talking to Kyle Russell of Tourism Calgary. This episode of Don't Call Me a Guru is brought to you by ATB's The Branch for Arts and Culture. The Branch is a clubhouse, arts venue, and financial institution for creatives and cultural workers in Alberta. It's designed for creators by creators. Located in the CKUA building in downtown Edmonton and the Stephen Avenue ATB branch in Calgary. Creative minds need creative banking. And that's what these branches are for. Learn how ATB can help at atb.com slash the branch. All right. So we are back with Kyle Russell, uh, content marketing manager of Tourism Calgary. So I always rave about Tourism Calgary and uh, your work specifically, Kyle, when it comes to influencer marketing and influencer partnerships, uh, because as you have <laughs> mentioned, we've worked together before um, and I've always felt that Tourism Calgary has been ahead of the curve uh, just from the itineraries that you put together, uh, the collaboration, the back and forth, wanting to make sure that uh, the influencer you're, you're working with has a say in what they're doing, where they're going, but that it still aligns mm. with what you're looking for. And then uh, most interestingly, and I think uh, most organizations who are doing influencer marketing still aren't doing this, um, but you, Tourism Calgary, also sets aside budgets for boosting influencer posts or creating ads around influencer content. Um, Mm. 
which is so cool. So can you just talk about how Tourism Calgary approaches working with influencers and successes as well as challenges that you've uh, that you've faced? Definitely. So uh, whenever we're looking at an influencer marketing program, we're always trying to see, like I said, who would be the best friend that someone could picture themselves having and someone who is approachable. And that's really what we start off with. Whenever we're uh, looking at whether we would want to work with an influencer or not, or if they fit sort of our echelon of influencers, we do have a grading scale to see whether they're a brand alignment or not. And for us, the six qualifiers we look for are whether they have a good relationship outside of, of Calgary, because we certainly don't want to be just talking to ourselves. Um, whether it's a believable story that they would come to Calgary, so say, you know, Kim Kardashian, if she's an influencer, we'd be looking at. It's not really like a believable story that she would take a, a weekend getaway to Calgary. Right. Um, and then we also look at things like if the influencer, uh, if if they're engaged with their audience and if there's anything that we need to look out for from non-brand alignment, such as uh, the three things we look for are hyper-political, hyper-sexual or hyper uh, religious and not that if there's any leanings that way that's fine but just not into the you know extremes of of right. anything mm-hmm. uh, that would make anyone not feel welcome to come to the city mm-hmm. uh, so that's really what we look at first when we're trying to source an influencer when it comes to working with the influencer themselves we really want to take a human approach and realize that the influencer isn't just a conduit for advertising or selling our message we really want the influencer to have a great experience and to become a good ambassador of the city. Cause you know, it, it's not just about the social side of the, the influencer, like influencers, they live in the community that you're trying to reach. They, they talk to people in person. Mm-hmm. You really want them to have a great experience and a great relationship with your brand. And for that to continue even after the influencer project is complete, mm-hmm. which is why whenever we bring in an influencer into the city, we always work to make sure, you know, everything we're sending them to is something they would feel comfortable with. Like, and, and you know, you never know as a brand, someone might not have an affinity to like, for example, we have a great experience where you can raft down the river in Calgary, but some people don't like to be in a boat or they don't like to be in right. hot sun all day. And there's nothing I can think of worse than if you say like, come to Calgary and for an afternoon, <laughs> we're going to send you on this hot ride that takes four hours. <laughs> and then you get. can't get off. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Like what a horrible experience that would be. So we always try to make sure that the influencer is totally comfortable and that they're going to have as as authentically great of a time as possible. Um, and then, like you mentioned, when we're looking at promoting the, the article outside of the realm, like influencer audiences are terrific. And there's there's a lot of cachet we can get from working directly within the audience that the influencer possesses already. Um, But there is a certain panache to also having that influencer content go beyond the influencer's audience, which I think really does a great job for both parties where it augments both our audience and, you know, shows off that say Linda had a great time in the city uh, and here's her recommendations for what restaurants to go to or what she thought of as good Instagrammable walls. Um, but it also does like it it allows your audience to also grow and for, Mm -hmm. for 
you to reach an audience that you might not reach in Calgary or you might not reach in Lethbridge or other other markets. And I think that it is a real it's a real good partnership influencer marketing as opposed to just a, a transactional relationship as it would be with other media. Right. What is um what's one piece of advice if you were to drill it down into one one piece of advice that you would give organizations who uh, are either considering working with influencers or um, are trying to do it better? I would say the biggest thing is to make sure that the content fits and it doesn't seem too sales focused. And, you know, you see this with a lot of big name CPG brands or big name fashion brands where they'll, it seems like the content is so stiff. <laughs> like you'll have someone and like, I saw one for a large chain just yesterday that said fashion influencer XXX wore our uh, spring collection and that was that was what the the post was. And you see that and you think that doesn't make anybody want to look at that. Like it sounds so corporate, right. sounds so put on. And I think that there needs to be a lot of consideration that the influencer's voice needs to fit and it needs to be content that doesn't seem off putting to the audience. And, you know, if there's something that just comes up that just seems so sponsored and <laughs> like just sticks out like a sore thumb, it doesn't do the influencer any good. It doesn't do the brand any good. And I think it's just really about finding the influencer that is a good fit and not being too prescribed with what you're asking the influencer to put on their channels. Mm-hmm. Um, another big tip I would say is don't be dissuaded by uh, followers because you know, there's the big term out there right now is micro influencer. And it sounds like a, like the traditional definition of what a micro influencer is, is under a hundred thousand followers. And you think like, who has more than a hundred thousand followers? <laughs> we have, we have uh, over a hundred thousand on our channel and we barely are over a hundred thousand right. followers on Facebook. <laughs> like I can't imagine. We brought out one influencer who we love working with uh, from Edmonton a couple years ago, and she has about 1,500 followers. And you think like 1,500 followers is like on the very low scale of micro micro, influencer. Yeah. But like every comment she would reply to and she had a really, really great relationship with every audience member that follows her. And that's worth more than just broadcasting to the masses. I would say don't be dissuaded by follower count because someone with a low follower count might have tremendous engagement and tremendous influence over a great audience that can really do wonders for your organization. How would you, um, how are you defining influencer success? Does that range depending on who, who you're working with? Uh, It does range. So we tend to look at every influencer and try and see, similar to when we're looking at engagement per channel, what does mobilize intent to visit. So, for example, we had uh, a couple influencers come in in the fall for a fashion campaign. And when we were looking at that influencer, one of them had a really, really tremendous reach on Instagram. And that influencer, we saw just the amount of commentary that was talking about the city itself. We thought that's a success, even if it wasn't the, the most traffic to a blog article about mm-hmm. her trip. But then on the on the flip side, we did see uh, the other influencer had good traffic to her blog, but like extreme amounts of time spent on the blog. So when we look at that, we would say, well, that's a good success story as well, because people are consuming that content. I mean, if you're spending 10 minutes on an article reading it, 
there's a good chance that you're really looking and trying to plan or at least yeah you're yeah exactly like imagining yourself in that situation and applying it to your life so it varies based on the influencer I think and I don't think that there's ever a one-size-fits-all metric for influencer marketing it really is a case-by-case basis but you would say, or would you say, would Tourism Calgary say that? Um, because, you know, it's hard for me to talk about influencer marketing because I I work with brands as an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm also, like, convincing brands to work with influencers. And I, I still will get, you know, I'll get eye rolls. I'll get, you know, I'll get, <laughs> oh, you're, you're working with an influencer. Or, oh, like, what makes an influencer? Um, so I'm still getting this, and I'm still trying to convince people that this is um, – you know, it is a very viable uh, way to engage audiences, reach audiences, you know, help you reach your goals. Um, but mm. but I feel like, like you know, it's stronger if someone else says it. So I'm wondering, would, would Tourism Calgary agree with that? Obviously, you're, you, you have invested in influencer uh, partnerships, and it's not something that you're going to stop doing. Not at all. No, no. We we love working with influencers. Like if there's anything I can say about working with influencers, it has done nothing but wonders for us. And I would highly recommend working with influencers. Like I think it's just a matter of really thinking through like, yeah, when an influencer is or what type of influencer you're looking for. Like even my counterparts who work at meetings and conventions in Calgary their influencers are people who are meeting planners and it's not necessarily the same type of, you know, sexy Instagram influencer that you'd be looking for, but it would be someone who's like a business influencer or even um, like right now we're working with a a person here who's a tech CEO and he's an influencer in the B2B community just to talk about what to do outside of the city. And I mean, you can think of, of influencers or sorry, um, you can think of industries that aren't necessarily consumer facing like the concrete industry. I mean, when you look at something like why how an influencer can work in the concrete world, it wouldn't be the same as the way a makeup uh, right. or like a makeup brand would work with an influencer. And I think that there's just different ways you can work with influencers in creative ways. Like mm-hmm. wh- one way we worked with, an influencer, which was kind of an odd way, uh, was a few years ago, we had a shopping campaign where if you came into the city, you would get $75 for every night that you stayed uh, for one of the big three malls in the city. And so there was a, a makeup tutorialist who lived in Calgary, and we worked with her to do a makeup tutorial about a look that you could only get if you went to one of these three malls. And I mean, when you think of that, like the content itself is not really tourism specific, Mm -hmm. but it fits within her channel because she just said at the top of the video, this is a look I'm creating specifically with makeup I found at CF Chinook Center. Right. And that's it. And that feels natural. It feels good. And it's it's us coming in from a different industry into the beauty industry and not necessarily like there's natural linkages when you think about it, but there are different ways you can work with an influencer mm-hmm. that does work. That does fit, yeah. And making sure that you're putting the time into thinking about um, how how to make it work, how to make it not feel forced, um, and then what, what you're really looking for out of the relationship, I guess. 
Totally. All right. So now we're going to take another ad break. And then when we get back, I'll have a few more questions uh, to ask Kyle Russell of Tourism Calgary. This episode of Don't Call Me a Guru is sponsored by Perch, the podcast by ATB. Perch connects with the experts, influencers, and big thinkers who are shaping our province. Each series connects to the topic of the most recent issue of Perch, a research publication produced by ATB. Learn more by visiting atb.com perch. All right, so we are talking to Kyle Russell, Content Marketing Manager of Tourism Calgary. And Kyle, I think that tourism boards have it so easy (laughs) 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 with content (laughs) because you have access to so many nice photos from so many different people. Uh, Would you agree? Is that the case? Does content come easy for you or, or you're going to, you're going to tell me what's up? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it depends. Uh, I think we've got a lot of like a wealth of, content that we can pick from in the broadest sense but there's a lot of things that we don't have an easy go of it at like give you a a specific example we are creating a guide to accessibility in calgary right now and finding a photo of someone in a wheelchair that is exploring the city is extremely difficult so i think we've got it we're definitely wealthy in areas such as getting big, beautiful moments. But when it comes to specifics, uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, got to work a bit harder for that. <laughs> what, uh, I guess, what's your advice for people doing social media uh, when it comes to either curating content or generating their own original uh, content for social? I think the biggest thing is making sure that the medium fits the message. Uh, when it comes to curating content, I would say the big thing is think of your voice when you're posting content. Um, I'm on the board of a a film festival here in Calgary and we're a startup. And a big thing that we've really tried to do on that organization is to have a voice that's consistent as we instead of a third party or uh, a first person voice. And I think that that's something that's really key. Like one great thing about my role at Tourism Calgary is I've gotten to work with a wide assortment of brands and you wouldn't believe the just absolute difference there, there could be between a small operator that just knows how to be great on social versus a large operator. Like, you know, some of the biggest tourist attractions in the country that don't quite have a fit on it. And I think that there's some keys that you can think of, like, uh, you know, one one thing I would say on social that just irks me is not adhering to character limits and not adhering to uh, quick messages. And I heard someone say, as soon as you have see more or add more onto uh, a Facebook post or a LinkedIn post, that's when the audience just decided, like, that's too much for me. And a lot of, uh, a lot of brands don't adhere to that. And I would say like, if you're looking at creating content, make sure that your content fits with the audience that's looking at the channel. And if Seymour is too much for your audience, don't do it. 
and be discerning with the channel itself. Like for us, we're very regimented in that only user generated content can go on Instagram and only big moments and big anchor points can go on Facebook. And that serves us really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually if you have that strategy, it's really easy to communicate outward to other stakeholders, whether internal or external to say, no, this isn't a fit for, for that channel, but I can do something else on, on some other channel. But just be very discerning on the content you're posting. How, um, how much of the work or the content that is being posted um, spontaneous versus, you know, f- planned out weeks in advance? <laughs> uh, realistically, <laughs> it's very spontaneous. Uh, I, so I would say the only time that we've planned our social content out in advance is when it's related to a a specific piece of content. So just like any tourism board, we make content for every large event that comes into the city, you know, major holidays, we'll post something. But then when it gets into more micro content, like an Instagram story or a Twitter post, it's really responsive to the market at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the flames were just in the playoffs recently we sent an Instagrammer out to do an Instagram story about the party that was going on outside of the arena here. Um, there's a, a, an attraction here, Heritage Park, that has a boat that's that's been dry docked for the last year. We're sending someone out next week to take a, a ride on the maiden voyage. But these are all unplanned opportunities that we just feel we need to be very nimble with and plan at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So the content is relevant to the market at that point. In terms of being nimble, do you have, you know, is there an Instagram story strategy? Is, you know, a new feature comes out? Are you jumping on it uh, right away? Are you using, you know, so so when something sort of new happens in the social digital space, how uh, how quick is Tourism Calgary to, to try and take advantage of that? I don't think we're as quick as we'd like. And like, even despite our large team here, and our team is really good at making sure we're looking at trends and being uh, keeping on top of whatever is the new thing in, in social. I think the thing that we're really cautious of, and this is probably something that I I'm more um, trying to impede into the culture is making sure that we don't get shiny object syndrome. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think with that, whenever we do do something, we're always trying to do something to the best of its capabilities. Like with Snapchat, we knew exactly what our audience was looking for. We knew they were looking for a behind the scenes look into something had to be casual. And it was something that you would want to drape yourself in. Cause when you're watching Snapchat, you would kick back and, and watch it as if it was TV. Right. And we really did Snapchat to the nines and, but we had made a, a conscious effort to say Snapchat is something we know is going to mobilize people to visit. Mm-hmm. If there's something else, like say Facebook stories, we haven't. <laughs> I think we everyone's been, laughing at Facebook stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't been sold on it yet. So if we're doing something, we want to make sure we're doing it right. Mm-hmm. We'll be nimble with something new that comes out, and we're not afraid to try something new. But it's just we want to do our due diligence to make sure that it's worth it to try it out. My like my industry is great, but I think my industry is also really bad at trying something once and then not doing it again. Mm-hmm. And Facebook Live and Snapchat stories are two that I would say people were really big on Snapchat in 2016, did one or two, decided not to do it again. Facebook Live was a big thing in 2017, mm-hmm. and then people decided not to do it anymore. 
And for us, we've really tried to find our sweet spot and see what content resonates on each channel to make sure we're doing it right before we dissolve it. So Snapchat, we have decided to take a backseat on just because we know our audience is no longer on Snapchat. But Mm -hmm. with Facebook Live, we found the sweet spot for us is just a process that hooks someone and you've got to watch right to the end. And that's really what's worked out well for us. And I think that's when we're nimble is finding the sweet spot for content, um, but not jumping into something without um, taking an educated leap. Thinking about it a bit more. Yeah, a bit more thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this feature is being tested in Canada right now. But hey, maybe by the time people are listening to this, it'll be permanent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm just curious what, uh, I guess, even Tourism Calgary's take is on Instagram making like counts private and how you think that that might affect, you know, how you how you find and and vet influencers or how you determine um, other uh, successes or approaches with Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I think with Instagram, like our big focus is on our own engagement. (laughs) So (laughs) we can still see when people are liking our photos. And for us, our Instagram strategy is we're looking for four specific types of photos. We're looking for a 100% photo, which for us would be about a thousand likes. Uh, a 50% photo, which would be about 500 likes. And for a 100% photo, this is like marquee stuff you've already seen like the calgary tower or the saddle dome or things people know about calgary the 50 percent photo is more education based so like think of a new restaurant or like a mural or something that you wouldn't normally see when you're thinking of calgary as a destination mm-hmm. for us like we don't really care if people see it and there's 300 likes like we just want that content to get out there and to educate the consumer so for us it's not such a such a fixation i think where it does come into play is trying to determine when someone is influential Mm -hmm. and um determining if an influencer does have the engagement that you're looking for because when we're vetting influencers another thing we're trying to see is the engagement ratio just to see if someone's you know got fifty thousand followers but like three engagements per post you can tell obviously that's a that is doing all those those follower counts. So that's the only business case I think that we might find some issues with. But, but I even, don't think it's Yeah, even then I've been telling people, you know, then it then it it's a bit more work probably for the business or the organization, but now it might force you uh to start having conversations earlier with the influencer, uh yeah, to talk about talk about their analytics and, and that sort of thing. Totally. And I think like, like, just as I said before, even if someone doesn't have the largest follower count or the largest engagement count, but they've got good quality engagement with specific audience members, that's really all that matters. As long as like, I always feel like if a trip that you take here, Linda, influences at least one person to come here and follow a similar trip to what you took, that pays for itself for us. We've done our job in trying to mobilize someone to come to Calgary for a great time. So if one person comes, that's great. That's great. My uh, my friend just sent me uh, a photo of his mom looking at the a Tourism Calgary blog that I posted because she's going in oh. a couple of weeks. So <laughs> Well, then there we go. Our, our four years of working together. It paid, paid off, finally. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Okay, so final question that I have for you, I guess, is um, 
just some uh, advice in general um, for social media strategists, community managers, content uh, developers? Just what are some of your um, big takeaways that that you'd like uh, that you'd like to share with people and how they might be able to do their job better? I would say the big thing is never be afraid to outsource work to someone else. And I don't mean outsource in a way that, you know, is just farming it out. I would say if you're a, a marketing department of one, don't be afraid to approach someone else to write great content for you. And don't be afraid to hand over your channel to someone else. There's a lot of people out there that have really great skills that you can take advantage of. And any collaboration you can do with great content creators is definitely worth it. And um, even for a lot of the influencers out there, influencers are usually wonderful people to work with and they are approachable. (laughs) Like, well, I mean, I know you, yeah. (laughs) Like I think that influencers, like there's this idea that influencers are, not approachable, like, you know, they're the cool kids in any city and they don't act like that. Like you go to, you can go up to an influencer at a cocktail party and they're very warm and welcoming and Mm -hmm. they really want to talk to you. And I would just say, don't, if you've never worked with an influencer before because of any nerves or you feel like there's some, um, like barrier maybe there. Totally. There isn't a barrier. Even ones that have agents, like they're usually (laughs) absolutely wonderful people to work with and the utmost of professionals this is their job and they they really want to go further with it so don't be afraid to approach an influencer even the biggest ones will usually reply to a, a message that you send perfect uh so thank you so much kyle that's kyle russell manager of content marketing with tourism calgary um thanks again for listening we're gonna roll a few credits and thank yous um for helping put on this podcast and be sure to listen next month for another hopefully interesting and insightful social media episode (laughs) thanks kyle thanks linda the podcast you are listening to today was produced by Matt Matischuk at the Nate Radio and Television Studios. The music bed for this episode was produced with the help of Doug Hoyer. The logo for Don't Call Me a Guru was designed with the help of graphic designer Rory Lee. Don't Call Me a Guru is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. 